Welcome back to Digimon Chronicles. This is MJ. I'm your host. I am an author, artist, analyzer, and for right now, I'm an audiobook narrator. I will be continuing with Chapter 1, Part 8 of A.G. Wolf of the Ninth Avenue, which is, of course, the first chapter in the Digimon Seekers serial novel celebrating the 25th year of Digimon with a book, of all things, because why not? So let's go ahead and get right into it uh, after I just tell you this. It's 1474, 1474 words. I predict this will be about a nine-minute read, maybe eight and a half to nine minutes. And here we go. The Code Cracking Team. The Code Cracking Team is a community of anonymous individuals who share the common goal of freedom of the network. Freedom of the digital world. There is no membership list. It is not a club of friends. There are various groups within the code racking team. They have different ideologies, principles, and goals. Often, there are fights among them. Crack teams are at odds with the existing law and authority, the government. They are a group of outcasts who have been labeled as antisocial or an antisocial group. This is the common denominator through a process of elimination. Nevertheless, those who call themselves code crackers more or less agree with the philosophy of the code cracking team and participate in its activities in a relaxed manner. On the monitor, a short movie uploaded to the Grim Video Service is shown to promote the code cracking team. <clears throat> freedom of the network, freedom of the digital world. The digital world has no borders and no laws. Therefore, no government or law can block all activities involving Digimon. Ryu Senji speaks. This is a common argument from the code crackers side. I don't know anything about the details. I had no connections, no education, and it was simply the most lucrative job for me at the time. He first got interested in code cracking in high school. One of his questionable seniors talked him into doing it for the money. It's a common occurrence. It was probably a good fit for him. He made more than enough money doing it on a part-time basis. But after passing on the college entrance exams, A.G. started to take code cracking much more seriously. He decided he'd try to make a living at it. You can do whatever you want. It's true. I can work however I want. But to the government, code crackers are the network's worst offenders, causing nothing but trouble. But be careful of traps. Get greedy and the Digi Police will come after you. The police department that handles cyber crimes has a team that deals with Digimon crimes. The Digi Police. It is a secret organization that has not been publicized, but it is known among code crackers. Just recently, a high school student acting as a code cracker to poach Digitama was arrested by the team. You're on the code cracking team, but you're not really interested in their philosophy. Freedom for you is, I guess, a sense of fashion. Shallow of me, right? But right now, I want a job and track record. I wonder where that track record or your future will lead you, A.G. What is your dream? I, I want to win, A.G. replies with sincerity. Oh, wow. Win what? I can't do it in real life, but on the internet, I'd like to become so big that I can change reality. I want to earn money, evolve my Digimon, and become a, a top-notch code cracker. I want to reach the point where I have a team of my own. So do you have to be a code cracker to do that? Yes. For me, the digital world is the only place where I can really change my life. He has a premonition. This job is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for A.G. to become a cracker of the highest caliber and change his life. I want to be on the same level as you, Professor Ryusenji. If it is possible to capture the digital world directly with the five human senses, not through monitors or observational data, that's what I want to do. As they actually are. To be able to live in the digital world. Hearing Eiji's words, Ryusenji smiles. The digital world can change a person's life, like it did with me.
A.G. took these words as the words of a successful man who had become one of the wealthiest men in the world. But he has nothing at the moment. He has no wealth, no education, and moreover, no girlfriend. He doesn't have what it takes. He has nothing to live for but a cramped three-mat room and an unhealthy, irregular diet. He can survive for now, but it won't be enough in the long run. Life will cost more the older he gets, and it will get more boring. I, I want to change my life. I want to win in the, in the digital world. His mind is made up. He has no intention of losing out on his connection with Professor Ryuzenji. No matter what it takes, he will finish this training job with the Lugamon. No matter what. Sometimes you can understand the world that you should have seen and known for a long time only by looking at it from a different angle. Ryuzenji murmurs. Hmm? That's good. That's really good. I asked you to train Lugamon, but at the same time I was testing you, Eiji. Ah, there you go again. If you were invested in the Codragon team down to their ideology, if you were a happy-go-lucky kid drunk on freedom, I wouldn't have given you this job. So, the SOC, the insignia, a badge with a three-letter alphabet, the badge which was featured in the promotional movie, should be familiar to anyone who has ever tried to peek into the internet underground. SOCs, Sons of Chaos. AG takes it takes a deep breath. The Sons of Chaos, it appears you know of them? Of course I do. They're an incredibly famous code-cracking group. What is your honest impression of SOC? Mmm, AG answers. On another level, they're top-notch. He really admires them. But if you want to enjoy a carefree, easy-going life, they are the ones you should stay away from. They're extremists, a militant organization that is considered to be the right wing of the code-cracking team. They are known for their crimes using Digimon, information theft, corporate blackmail, cyber-terrorism, you name it. But their leader has so much charisma. The Cyclops incident, the legendary code-cracker, Tartaros, a person who is at war with the world. The Cyclops incident won't be described here. It was an event that made it impossible for the leaders of the international community to ignore the existence of code-crackers, code-cracking teams, and the digital world. The leader of the SOC, Codecracker Tartaros, is yet to be identified. All that's known about him is that he's apparently Japanese. He is a dark hero. Tartaros is very popular, much more popular than I am. Ryusenji smiles. There are many followers on Tar of Tartaros and Grimm, but there are also those who are against these extremists, saying that if they become too conspicuous, laws and regulations will be tightened. That's just it, Ryusenji looks at Eiji. The SOC is interfering in the digital world in a very negative way. The over-interference is creating risks to the Digimon ecosystem and ultimately to human society. And it's threatening my research as well, to the point where I'm extremely concerned about it. I see. It would be unfortunate for both humans and Digimon if the digital world and the real world become more isolated than they already are due to stricter legal restrictions. Wouldn't you agree? Ryusenji takes a neutral position toward Codecrackers. If he didn't, he wouldn't have hired Eiji for this job. However, he is deeply concerned about violent crimes and terrorism using Digimon. This is because, ultimately, he loves Digimon very much. If there is one thing Ryusenji cannot forgive, it's Codecrackers who misuse Digimon and put them in danger. If you're a professor, don't you have a lot of contacts in the government? Eiji asks the question. Ryusenji is a government expert on technology and a special advisor to the digital world. He is also involved in the selection of police equipment. Of course, we have been lobbying for this. However, the current prime minister is all about studying. 
but has no power to implement. The police, on the other hand, just follow the law and crack down on code crackers. The related laws are not yet in place or are insufficient. Things are not going well. Professor, I think we're getting off on the wrong foot here. I guess you're not interested then. It's not like that at all. I'm just getting more and more excited is all. Ever since he decided to become a code cracker, he knew that one day he would want to do this kind of work. He doesn't mean capturing Digimon, collecting Digitama, or collecting junk data. He wants to do something dangerous, something with a more adult feel to it. It's an undercover investigation into the Sons of Chaos. I want you to find out what the mysterious leader Tartaros is up to. It's all for the sake of the digital world and Digimon. It's for the sake of protecting them. That's the end of Chapter 1, Part 8 of Wolf of the Ninth Avenue, Digimon Secret Chapter 1. So, wow. This is really interesting. Um, by the way, that was about an eight and a half minute read. Um, the, like, this is exactly, this isn't exactly where I wanted to go, and I'm a little bit worried about where it's going to go. But this interesting exploration of the philosophy of freedom and you know, they're calling it chaos here. These guys are called the sons of chaos, but they're talking about more of a, uh, a voluntary society. Um, I was thinking about this, uh, cause I had to pause my recording and I read ahead a little bit and then I jumped back and did the recording. Um, if, you know, obviously, well, let me put it this way. If a world could exist where there were no borders and there was freedom to act and that world was ruled by protocols and rules that people adhered to and not by special rulers and special people, I think that would be lovely. For example, uh, there's an easy way to say it, which is don't hurt people and don't, don't lose it. Don't steal from people. Don't steal and don't hurt people or something like that. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff is I think what it basically breaks down to. If everybody adhered to that ideology, just those two principles and how those two principles principles could be, um, manifest throughout every aspect of human interaction, then that would be good. You wouldn't have to worry about the strong oppressing or stealing from the weak because they would adhere to the protocol or the principle of don't take people's stuff. Um, you would probably have people not scamming other people because that would be hurting them or causing them injury in some way. And if those were the only two protocols that everybody lived by, uh, you could have a variance where some people did defraud or cheat or uh, trick or swindle people. Um, you could have that and people would be morally okay with that. Some, you know, obviously the individual doing that would be morally okay with that. Um, but you would have other people who said, no, that's, you know, defrauding somebody, stealing from them in that way is obviously wrong. And, you know, Ryu Senji's worried about uh, violence here, uh, violent acts of terrorism. Those would not be allowed in a world where uh, everybody followed the rule of don't hurt people because obviously destroying people hurts them. And if you want to talk about, well, what about just destroying a building or destroying property? Well, that property belongs to somebody. And if that somebody has to replace the thing that's been destroyed, then they are being harmed because money that they had that was going toward X now has to go towards repairing this thing, which shouldn't have been destroyed um, by your malicious action. Now, if it were destroyed by some sort of accident or something like that, that's just kind of part of life. But if you willingly injured and hurt somebody and, or their property and necessitated them having to have it repaired or replaced, that would be bad. And I could see a system like that having uh, sub protocols 
or sub-rules where if you do in fact harm somebody or steal something from somebody, you have to restore it. You have to restore their property or restore the person somehow in any way you can. And I think that's a beautiful outlook on life. I think it's a beautiful philosophy and I think it's a beautiful world. Now, in our world, where those aren't the only two rules everybody lives by, people are routinely murdered and stolen from, coerced, cheated, scammed. So the argument that my idea of these protocols being what everybody lives by wouldn't lead to a perfect world, we don't have a perfect world now, but I think it would be a better world, especially because these are two very easy principles to enforce. And I like that Ryu Senji is taking a neutral stance. He doesn't want the Sons of Chaos messing things up so that tight laws and protocols or tight laws and rules and restrictions are put in place on the human interaction with the digital world because it can cause harm to people aside from the terrorist acts and things like that that are causing laws to be created um, the stifling of innovation and the stifling of the technology and what people are able to do with Digimon in the digital world is bad also there's the fact that Digimon are being harmed in these uh, digital crimes or Digimon crimes as well so it's really interesting it's Taking, I like the scientific, like, let's explore this, let's learn, let's think about this and investigate this approach, as opposed to him saying, the Sons of Chaos, Digimon Codecrackers are all evil, because obviously he can't think that because he's working with Eiji, but he wants to see when you're free to push the boundaries and push the limits and explore things in a more interesting way, you know, what benefit does that have for mankind and for, I guess, Digimon kind as well in the context of the story. And I just, I love that willingness to... Uh, ask those questions and to explore those. And um, as much as I think Digimon is basically like a uh, kaiju, um, you know, is it, is it Kyodai battle? You know, it's giant monster fights. So it's like a combination of Ultraman and um, and Godzilla. I think those are very much at the roots of it. Um, those, you know, are science fiction shows and they are you know, speculative fiction by that nature. And they're meant to ask, or, you know, it's not a, Godzilla's not a show originally, uh, but you know what I'm saying. They're meant to ask questions, questions about man and his place in the world and how we do things and, you know, what is right for us to do and how should we interact with the world. And I think that's what we're having explored here. And that feels very much in line with the roots of um, what Digimon is. And like I said, Ultraman and, uh, and you know, Godzilla being the basis for, um, Digimon in a lot of ways, or at least the the shows. I don't know with the games, but the shows I think um, definitely have that that in mind in their creation and their inception. And I think last time I mentioned that I don't really know what the theme of Digimon is, like the the you know the theme of the story. Um, but I do think that like something in what I said about like a cross between Godzilla and Ultraman um, has something to do with the theme. Something about like understanding our world and understanding our place in it uh, to a certain extent and like what we do with what we're given. I know that's, that's a very broad theme. Um, but I still think that's pretty close to what it actually is. And I think I'm actually beyond the time that I had allotted for myself. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I thank you for listening. And I ask that you join me next time. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.